progressives say, oh come on, just write off the $1.6 trillion college debt. If our current weak progressive administration acquiesces, it means the federal government, as guarantor, must pay for what the perpetrator colleges and universities have collected or expect to collect. Is this insanity, the straw that finally breaks the entitlement camel's back? How would you vote? For or against? Progressives like AOC, Bernie Sanders, Liz Warren, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer and yes Joe Biden and Kamala Harris say just write it off. Why are they even creditable? Have they ever run a business or a state or a college and had to meet a payroll? Hell no. Then why does their voice even count? This is a business decision for Congress, not a sorority vote, realists say, that ignorant solution, amounts to $1,600 billion, or $16,000 billion, or $1.6 trillion right off, to alleviate certain selective voters of their personal education and commitment. This will not cost the taxpayers one cent because there isn't enough collected in taxes, now $4 trillion, to pay for only half of the proposed $7 trillion budget for 2023 and entitlements of $3 trillion per year. Currently, any additional cash outlays have to be borrowed. The current administration's deficit spending bills further drain America's ability to pay cash for anything. Everything in the Build Back Bigger Government's Green New Deal infrastructure bill and the American Rescue Plan, require deficit funding for the next 10 years with more debt, i.e., U.S. securities and printing currency issued by the Fed, U.S. Treasury and annual cost of the $1 trillion imbalance in trade, the annual operating loss of GDP. Let the supporters of Gift Quo Pro who believe that the USA can fund anything by just printing currency. Like the Fed printed 300 years worth of treasuries in 2019 to 2021 to fund the pandemic shutdown. Those debt instruments were purchased primarily by China, Japan, Russia, Saudi Arabia and India. This mentality is continually inflating our economy and derivative bubble. And is destroying the value of the dollar and stock market, around the world. So, as a voter of yes, for any level of write-off deepens the debt-to-GDP deficit. It currently is 125%. Adding another $1.6 trillion is insane. In a bailout of this bankrupt position, the colleges and universities, that profited from the incurrence of the debt must get a haircut, not all Americans. Someone said on TV, well the debt is due to the cost of education. No. It's the increased prices by the colleges and universities who are quietly blaming the government, not themselves. They seem to forget they're running a business, not a sorority. So, who should take the loss, in business it's the perp that takes the write-off, not the guarantor if the perp violates the agreement. But oh no the perp, wants all of us to pay their increased cost for salaries and benefits of the professors and overhead. The average salary for professors $143,000 in colleges, and $350,000 in big-name universities. Plus, per professor, annual pension debt of $70,000 forever for colleges and $150,000 for universities. Let the professors' pension plans pay their share of the write-off. They seem to forget they're working for a business, not a sorority. Also, let the endowments pay its share. There are 7,021 colleges and universities in the country in 2021. The average endowment fund for colleges is $10 million and $100 million for universities. 
That's total of $7 trillion in funded and unfunded endowments sitting off the PERP's balance sheet and a derivative of the college debt incurred by the students. In addition to the endowments, tax-exempt colleges and universities own more than $100 trillion in property, buildings and equipment. Let the endowments pay its share of the write-off and let the colleges and universities reduce their prices by reducing their escalating costs, as a pass-through, get to a break-even point. They seem to forget they're running a business, not a sorority. Since, it's their business so no way should it make it every American and their children's children's responsibility. 99% of the colleges and universities, are tax-exempt and have accumulated billions annually from that exemption. Let the college and university's tax exemption pay its share of the write-off of the college debt. Let them borrow the money, as they want the government to do. They seem to forget they're running a business, not a sorority. This type of problem analysis and solving must be applied across all facets of wasteful governmental institutions, by using free enterprise quasi-reorganization plans to save the republic. With our uni-party gridlocked Congress and state legislatures, all policies and proposed spending legislation is partisan with no system of accountability for fiscal responsibility. With no debate, other than a filibuster. America no longer has a bipartisan application of its constitutional responsibilities to the electorate. In other words our vote doesn't matter. Only money to get re-elected matters, to the 100 senators 435 representatives, 9 justices and a president. Plus, 50 governors and 1 million bureaucrats. Without competitive voting there is no way to improve our GDP versus debt results. The day reckoning is occurring every day as the borders are left open, funding of the Ukraine war hides our involvement in a holocaust and the politicians, who aren't spending their own money for the bailout, don't have to share in the write-off any debt. Ultimately, with mail-in voting and no voter ID, we have the golden rule. Those with the gold shall ever rule as they do in dystopian authoritarian countries. As predicted by George Orwell, 1984. And is the case in China, Russia, Iran and various derivatives of, that rebuttal to democracy around the world. Read the American Enterprise Party Trilogy, Volume 2 The Manifesto. For how this solution can be accomplished with a third-party swing vote in Congress, state legislatures, county commissioners, and city mayoral government. Good morning, America. Uh, this is Jerry Rhodes coming to you from Chicago, Illinois. And in this particular podcast, the question is right off the college debt. How would you vote for or against, or are you apathetic about that because uh, you want your college debt erased? Uh, I think this is more in the context of what the government should and should not be responsible for. Uh, I guess by by nature, the federal government has established education as something that should be publicly funded. So everybody has the right to a free education. And to me, that that, again, is not a feasible approach to something that's very costly. And I do have to set this up by the very fact that this is not about the cost of college. This is about the price of college. There is a difference between what it's costing you 
and why it's being priced the way it is. And that is an, an institutional environment. And the employees, professors, teachers, regardless of what level you're talking about, are employees of government. Right now, the government, federal, state, and local, have 22 million, now that's million, that's six zeros, uh, 22 million employees. That's a 1.3 trillion per year payroll. It's the biggest payroll in the country. I mean, in the country and in the world. Actually, it's more than most countries. Um, and plus, you have to add to that, fully paid, the best health care, the best Obama or whatever care it is, but they have their own health care. They have their own Social Security program. Uh, they have a, their own pension program, which are all funded by, they say, the taxpayer. Well, the taxpayer isn't even funding operations these days. There are trillions of dollars in deficits that have been built up over the last, since World War II, totaling $30 trillion in recorded debt and $158 trillion in unrecorded obligations. And that's not me making the numbers up. You go to the U.S. debt clock, and that's where you're going to see things that will make your hair stand on end. Because it's not only does the debt clock cover federal, it covers state by state by state by state. And it's components of the things that, that we have to be concerned about is, is, is our health care, our Social Security, um, our schooling. And what does all this cost? Our military, the, uh, what, what, is, what is the budget being spent on? Not uh, on a cash in and cash out basis, because that's the way the budget's set up, but on the accrued generally accepted accounting basis where you're not cooking the books and hiding debt. Uh, you are actually amortizing it over a period of time, which then has to be covered by taxation or treasury notes, borrowing, or maybe a little austerity here and there, cutting back. Um, so the, the finances of the federal and, and each state's government are, they're cooking the books. We do not see what the whole picture is. I'm a CPA, and, and I've had my own business for 40 years. And before that, I was with the largest accounting firm in the country, Arthur Anderson and Company. And we rolled out Medicare and Medicaid in terms of what the providers are going to have to provide in terms of what their costs were and, and what they were pricing their services as. Well, over the years, it got to the point where the government was not paying for the cost. They decided that if you pay for the cost, they're going to increase the cost so we can never control how much we're spending. So they started paying them for input. So they'd pay for a diagnosis, not for uh, a cure, or, or what did it cost to get this person back home? Uh, that's called an outcome. They were paying a certain amount that they felt they could control to the provider. 
like a an appendectomy or a stroke or those are not outcomes those are creating input data that they would pay for assuming that they would cure something or improve the person's health well that method has never been changed started with blue cross the only health insurance provider uh, in the 40s and it set the scene for what they called cost-based reimbursement to their hospital uh, members. It was, it was a membership in an, in an institutional concept of not-for-profit health insurance, and the employers would pay it. That would be a benefit. So then the hospitals, and, then, and there weren't even nursing homes then. They didn't come about until later to get people out of the nursing hospitals in two to four days and get them into a cheaper alternative that was the concept particularly since medicare made these promises and that it was not going to be able to keep unless there was some kind of controls and the controls were on cost presumably but the cost reporting which i was a part of trying to get the hospital set up for cost accounting and physician offices and nursing homes and you know the whole continuum of care really to this day has no cost accounting systems. They have financial systems that track their cash coming in, where it's coming from, of course, and how much that is. And as far as the costs are, they have them by department, not by episode of care. So there isn't any really a control device within healthcare. Since Blue Cross didn't require it, we inherited their systems of these, what they call departmental cost reports, where we never ever get to what their true costs are for, for an appendectomy or stroke or cancer or multiple di diagnosis. Okay. And uh, when Arthur Anderson was rolling out Medicare, in the night, late 1960s, it was passed in 1964, uh, we were sent out to the hospitals to find out how they were tracking their costs. Well, it was quite a surprise because the government had sent out a prototype of a cost report, which was, not, was all on departmentalization, not on episodes of care, had no relationship to the services. And so when we got there, they had no systems other than tracking how much money take, they took in by certain categories, lab and, and beds and so on and so forth. And then departmental for nursing and housekeeping and dietary. So it was in these silos of departments. And we said, well, where's your cost accounting for a stroke or, or for a cancer or for um senility or you know well we don't keep track of things that way and we were finding out they didn't even keep track of their census on a daily basis there's really no control devices to be able to balance the census against what was being billed census meaning how many people were in the beds and how many people were receiving these different services you'd say oh my gosh that's 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 not businesslike that, yeah, that's an institutional uh, accounting 
system. We have been paying uh, for institutional accounting for enterprise, enterprise of care. And we don't even track the outcome. So we really aren't reporting how many people that we are getting better or dying or getting worse. There's no tracking of those variables throughout uh, the hospital stay and then into the nursing home and then into assisted living and then home care. There is no way to track an episode of care through that continuum and be able to say, wow, why are you charging that much hospitals for an outpatient service or for this uh, surgery or whatever? They can't tell you. They never had systems set up that way. Well, how can it be 2022 when you're just telling us this? I've been writing books since 1960s as I was an expert supposedly in Medicare coming out of Arthur Anderson and then going as a partner and two other accounting firms and setting up my own, writing that we need to be tracking costs by episode of care and then base that on body systems, not on, now we have 77,000 different diagnostic codes. Now we're, we're billing for codes, not for care. We have no way of tracking the cost of care. And so what does this have to do with college debt? It's the same thing in, in, our, in our universities, colleges, and public schools. They're all on a cash-in, cash-out budget. They don't track what, what we're paying them for and paying them on the basis of a successful episode of, same as the care, episode of education. You know, what what channel are they in? What is it costing to get through the first grade to through co uh, college on an individual basis, even if it's only standardized and estimated? We have no way of controlling costs in healthcare and in education. And so, okay, Jerry, what the hell is that? What difference does that make? Well, it all comes back to we, we can't write off anything in terms of the college debt, unless we go back to the institutions that charged it and say, you take the loss, you overcharged us, your pricing is too high. Well, N Nixon tried this, you know, it, it was going, it was out of hand in the seventies and, and Arthur Anderson, we were asked to go in and, and if they were gonna make a price increase, they had to justify it with their costs. Well, there was no way of justifying it. They had no records of that. And so uh, what I'm saying now is the government shouldn't be eating that debt. That, that debt, if it's not the students, it's the colleges. And they're going to tell you, oh, we can't afford, you know, you'll bankrupt us. We can't afford that. Well, yeah, but you built your whole increase in prices on the basis of the fact that they had guaranteed loans and, and, and the students would have to pay it back, and they're not. And now the progressives say, oh, just wipe that out. We need public education needs to be free. Nothing is free. Your professors are making lots of money and they have high, high incomes, high pensions. You're passing that through. You're not justifying all this on the basis of what you're contributing to the students 
and their future. And we're asking them to incur the debt. And they're saying they can't because they can't get a job. So maybe, you know, in, in the education system, it's broken down. It isn't focused on outcome. It's focused on everybody's income. And then we don't have enough taxes to cover it. So we're borrowing it again from banks and from, you know, and, and here we've got something called endowment funds. At every level of education, there are certain endowments that are sitting there, make, you know, building up value, probably invested in Chinese companies uh, through these, these uh, uh, investment programs. And you get trillion trillion of dollars sitting there where if you'd have been pulling out of those to pay your higher prices, maybe you wouldn't increase your prices as much. Maybe your professors wouldn't be making high higher than average American wages. Uh, we would have had an accountability system. At this point, we have no accountability system on education or healthcare. So within the concept of college and education is an enterprise, we start to have to set these things up on the basis of the same thing we do in any other enterprise. Enterprise to establish accountability, to establish control over inefficiencies and, and excesses and all that. We then have some accountability for what we are selling. Is it worth what we're selling. And if we privatize it, then guess who's going to be your um, accountability? It's going to be the, the student. If you're not, if they're not receiving value, they're not going to want to pay you. That relationship right now isn't even there. Government does. You know, you take the, you externalize the responsibility for education and healthcare, and people don't care what it costs. They don't care if, if they get heavy or unhealthy. They're not paying the cost. So within the American enterprise party concept, and you can say that it's not just a political party, it's just a concept of, of government, is that we privatize these so you have the students financing through saving withdrawal from their uh, salaries, withholding program with a match by the employer, this funding for their personal education and their personal health care. And then and they're spending their own money. And the money that they can save or invest in, a, in higher education and a better job and, and more lifetime income, great. Then everybody wins. But right now, everybody's going to lose, particularly when the government has got $30 trillion in debt, that's recorded and another 158 that's obligated that isn't recorded. It cannot go on forever. And right now in 2022, I'm sure Republicans are going to tell everybody it's the Democrats' fault. And you put us in in the midterms and then put our, our president in and by golly, we'll, they don't say fix it. We will be able to carry on. And then an education is nothing more than a, a college debt for everyone, whether they can use it or not, or whether they need it or not. And healthcare is all on the basis of codes. It's on your zip code, or it's on these 77 diagnosis codes, or the other 14,000 
procedure codes. No one is controlling anything. And if you want to see how big this is, go to a, you can go to my website, uh, www.americanenterpriseparty.politicalparty.com, or you can go to uh, openthebooks.com, where the, this man and his company now have databases on what we're spending at universities, what we're spending in, in federal agencies, state agencies. It's tracking now what we're spending. That's the cost that drives uh, right now the debt because there isn't enough taxpayer. We, uh, 300 million people could pay everything they have in and they couldn't pay down what America is incurring as 250 billion a day in debt. It, it just isn't going to last. Rome didn't last. No other great society has ever lasted much more than 200 years because of the fact that somehow or some way they fall off the wagon. And in America, we certainly have totally fallen off the wagon. What do we do about that? Is it all doom and gloom? No, I've three, written three books, and one is the second edition, about how we can fix it. Fixing it is as simple as having a third party that represents a swing vote that pulls all these extremes that make all these promises and never deliver to the middle, where we actually are getting to some common sense application of what America is about. We have the greatest enterprise ever invented. And it's and, and it's gonna the goose is gonna is gonna be get killed by debt or competition from other countries that don't have this overhead. China doesn't have the overhead we've got. Every business in this country has got a 40% overhead heaped on it by our concept of government, where we have redundant agencies at the state level and the federal levels. Each each State has 24 agencies like the federal government. You, you multiply that out, we have 1,250 some agencies. What do these people do? They're costing us 1.3 trillion a year with their pensions and another 500 billion. What do they do? What are they accomplishing? What, what is Fauci? What was he doing? He's the highest paid uh, government worker. He makes more than the president. The top 100 wage earners, 91 of them, are all in public health. What are they accomplishing? Come on, we got to start asking some questions. So back to the college debt, and I'm going to finish this up pretty quick, is it's not the cost of college. It's not the cost of health care. It's not the cost of, of um, K through 12 education. It's the price. Where do we get the price from? You start asking that, and they go, boom, I don't know. Well, we have all these teachers, all these. Yeah, but what are they doing? How are they contributing to the outcome? So we have to go from outcome measurement to, to outcome. So what is, what is the income and what kind of an outcome do we get for that, and what does it cost? It's called standard cost accounting. There are books written on that. I've written books on, on standardized cost accounting, which is where you have estimates of what things are 
to should cost and then compare actual to them so we have accountability. So to sum this up today, I want to again remind you in America, we have been established as the great institution, the uh, constitutional government, the all through all through the years, we've used institutional accounting. And it's cooking the books, it's hiding the failures. We need to now start becoming, I guess, better managers of uh, the business. And government, America is a business. It represents thousands of businesses. And, and the whole world now is forming itself around this whole concept of enterprise. So if we don't learn this, we're not going to be able to compete because our overhead is way higher than China. China's very low overhead, very efficient. They don't have unions, they don't have strikes and all that. Yeah, a lot of those things grew out of the fact that the capitalists wouldn't share and the workers wouldn't work because they wanted to strike. So we have our problems built in with this system that we have when we're using institutional principles. I'm proposing that we start looking at this and we need a party that represents those principles to pull the, the left and the right, the conservatives and the liberals and the reds and the blues closer to what makes common sense. And all I'm talking is common sense. And so the common sense party or the, the middle America party or the swing vote party would be the American Enterprise Party. I don't need more than one seat in the Senate now and six seats in the House to be the swing vote. Guess who forces the other two extremes and parties to come more towards the middle? It's the swing vote. And we have swing vote states that go from red to blue and blue to red and but in effect, we have 27 that are pretty much controlled by the Democrats, uh, the, the Republicans, and 23 that are controlled by the Democrats, which tend to be the big cities with the inner city problems. And for the Democrat, uh, the Republicans, it's a wider area and, and more based upon smaller entities. Uh, the Democrats have now been pulling the bigger companies and businesses in because they're all centered in the large cities. So let's face it, we have uniparty politics at the federal level and every state level, and it's destroying us. So that's my message today, and you're going to get more of these going on. Thank you. Is America really bankrupt or is that impossible? How in the world can the federal government perform a bailout and survive the repercussions of such an act? Supposedly America's federal government cannot file for bankruptcy. Only state and local governmental organizations can file for bankruptcy. Nothing in the American Constitution would allow the biggest enterprise in the world to quasi-reorganize its debt and pay down long-term debt with an infusion of capital and cut fixed overhead to go forward with positive cash flow. If so, the first target for a haircut would be government payroll of $1.9 trillion per year, including an accrual for pensions and health care benefits. With recorded debt, for the first time since World War II, 125% of annual GDP. 
and due to the supply line imbalance of trade fiasco, USA loses $1 trillion per year in profit and cash flow on that level of GDP. So the next haircut will be China who cost us $3 trillion in COVID costs and we owe them $1.3 trillion in long-term debt treasuries, and down the line are also those we owe more than $1 trillion due to imbalance of trade, for example Japan $1.3 trillion, South Korea, Mexico, Canada and India another $1 trillion. Also, the taxpayers, including corporations, barely pay in enough to cover the $600 billion interest on debt of $30 trillion, $90 trillion including state and local debt, or $1 million per family, with $3 trillion interest paid annually, and unrecorded obligations, for Medicare, Medicaid, Obamacare government pensions and Social Security that are not in entitlements, totaling $158 trillion per the debt clock. www.usedebtclock.org So, there will be a need for the wealthy individuals, that have been enriched by the great American enterprise, to invest in a capital offering to pay down the short-term debt of $30 trillion to a manageable level. Not a wealth tax but a 5% of net worth determined on generally accepted accounting principle as an investment in our future. Keeping the debt ceiling not more than 50% of GDP or $15 trillion. The return on the infused capital using treasuries will be at market value margins traded on the USA bond market. At 5% of national net worth, an infusion would need to be 5% of $118 trillion national net worth, or $5 trillion for working capital for paying amortized debt coming due each fiscal year. Our current and past administrations since World War II, have contributed the highest government payrolls on record, with record spending deficits, and $1 trillion per year, in imbalance of trade losses, to put us in this debt spending, insolvent position. In other words we cannot spend our way out of it or grow fast enough or long enough to fix it. Even President Trump knows this to be true, because he has filed a few times, for bankruptcy relief. With the election of Joe Biden the USA is on another spending spree of $10 trillion for the next decade. How can a sitting president obligate a decade of spending when the term limit is four years? Especially, with a Green New Deal that eliminates $3 trillion per year in energy sales, and obligates America to continue to buy fossil fuel from foreign countries, increasing the imbalance of trade, by at least $1 trillion per year. A negative impact of $4 trillion per year on our already insolvent budget. There needs to be a moratorium on deficit spending that isn't covered by GDP cash flow, and doesn't encumber future administrations with more debt. Most Americans never heard of the debt clock, or the www.openthbooks.com websites. Have you, as a discriminating taxpayer, heard of the debt clock or open the books to see what the government agencies, are spending and why most of it is generating insurmountable debt and deficits. No accountability means bankruptcy. Federal income taxes only generate $3.6 trillion per year, our GDP is $24 trillion with state property and sales taxes another $3 trillion each, or a total of $10 trillion per year. To pay for budget outlays annually of $6 trillion federal and $4 trillion state, and local interest of $600 billion, on foreign debt totaling $7 trillion, just can't ever be overcome by taxes or GDP. And trade imbalance payments of $1 trillion, and Medicare slash Medicaid of $1.2 trillion, and Social Security of $1.1 trillion, and federal pensions $304 billion, $6 trillion unfunded, and defense $725 billion and income security $1.7 trillion, 
and farm subsidies $264 billion, creating negative cash flow of $7 trillion per year. To understand why, who are the highest paid federal bureaucrats? Of the top 100 only two aren't employed by the VHA, that's Dr. Fauci and Dr. Garal of NIH public health officials who mismanaged the pandemic. The top five wage earners are all VHA and NIH employees, Dr. Garal $464,000, Dr. Fauci $434,000, Dr. Gibbons $422,000, Dr. Kim $420,000, Dr. Sunil $414,000, and add another $400,000 per year each to fund their pensions, 80% of three highest annual wages, and retirement health care. That's $2.5 million in annual payroll, and another $1 million in benefits, or an average of a half million per person per year. This is higher than the president and most CEOs in the private sector make and they are at risk of losing their jobs if they don't perform. All of the 100 bureaucrats have been in government their whole careers, costing the VHA and NIH budgets upwards to $200 billion per year. This is only two agencies of 115 federal agencies, and another redundant 24 state agencies times 50 states, or 1,200 state agencies costing approximately a billion per year or a total of redundancy costs, waste, of $1.2 trillion per year. By privatizing certain federal agencies and allowing the state or local agencies handle the needed services. Currently, we could cut another $1 trillion just by privatizing health and human services, Department of Education, Public and VA Health, Energy, and Environmental Services. Since, I'm a CPA by trade. These numbers have bankruptcy written all over them. On top of this Americans have $23 trillion in personal debt, and $18 trillion in mortgage debt, and $1.7 trillion student loans, and $1 trillion in credit card debt, of a total of $44 trillion, $1.5 million plus $1 million for government debt per family, or $2 million per citizen, and growing with inflation and value of the dollar falling under the current administration. Am I overreacting or what? No, I believe that our current leaders at every government level, aren't accountable for their failures in finance and economics. America is a giant enterprise not an institution, like a church or Congress. There is a day of reckoning, when there is accrued interest to pay to China, Japan, South Korea, Russia, India, Canada, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, and America has exceeded its debt ceiling of $40 trillion being deferred, now it is $22 trillion with debt of $31 trillion. With GDP of $24 trillion or 125% of debt of $30 trillion. Will government shut down and the dominoes start to fall? I hope not, but hope has no bearing on demand for payment. Only BK stops the foreclosure clock. So what can we the enterprising Americans do, if the Constitution doesn't allow this type of reorganization? The Congress will have to amend the Constitution, to save the great American enterprise. What if a gridlocked Congress won't do that, that's why we need the swing vote of the third party. The American Enterprise Party. You will find the solution to this hopeless situation, that took 75 years of mismanagement by both parties to develop, and can happen quickly after the creditors realize that America can't pay its bills, in the American Enterprise Party trilogy that proposes to drain the swamp and kill the woke alligators. Volume 1. Propose a swing vote first step to recovery of our reputation, and why a swing vote will work by pulling the extremes of the two parties towards the middle, where the majority of Americans want us to be, 
then we have accountability for problem solving. Volume 2, is how do you do it with the plan of quasi-reorganization to defer current payments, failing policies and reduce obligations, so the country can continue to conduct business. Also, the need of operating capital is essential that those that have made excessive wealth be required to invest in 30-year treasuries for use in amortizing long-term debt funding as we go, using accrual gap accounting, for Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and Obamacare. And require that all government pensions be funded by 410.K savings plans for all governmental employees with a matching as earned by employee performance standards. The same method that the private sector uses to fund employee merit pensions plans. As a result, all governmental record keeping will be based on accrual accounting using GAAP for budgeting and financial reporting. And Volume 3, proposes that we restore the American work ethic, with patriotism and humanism in the workplace, so the monetary capitalist learns to share, and the human capitalist learns to earn, and provides a skill to bill, on time every time. Its quality is our strength, and sharing in the profit is our creed, for peaceful coexistence our organizational commitment is to our voters. The American Enterprise Party Trilogy is on sale at bookstores, upon request, Amazon, Kindle and my websites www.jerryroadsauthor.com and www.americanenterprisepoliticalparty.org. CCP Incorporated, using the Chinese Communist Party's wolf warrior policies, is winning the USA's globalization trade war, with a low overhead efficient autocracy. CCP Incorporated is the largest enterprise in the world. It has 98 subservient companies with 12 on the Fortune 500 list. It has 745 million proletariat workers, with no say. It has a Politburo board of directors, with one autocrat president. It has no unions, no articles of incorporation. It has no bylaws, or rule of law for accountability. It has no restraint of trade limitations, or antitrust law. It has no HR human relations department. Its only investor is a Communist Party Politburo. It has only one stockholder with total veto power. It has no labor contract with its employees. It has no complaint department. It has no work ethics standards. It doesn't need efficiency experts. It has no required quality control. Each of its employees are earning the same salaries and minimum benefits. CCP Incorporated's research and development is hacking and stealing secrets of others for its technology. Being atheist nor ethical, it embeds its citizens in its competitors' universities and communities, for stealing ideas and technical applications. It has no 50 Republic of United States constitutional democracy to control or satisfy. CCP Incorporated also has investors from its competitors, American Union pension funds, foundations and Group 401k mutual funds are investing in stocks and bonds of CCP subsidiary companies, in a single economy. Unwittingly, American investors are investing in a communist regime to the tune of $400 billion per year, one-third is from the USA government treasuries, that will grow to $1 trillion in market value by the end of 2021. This creates a dichotomy, with current international politics as the USA enforces sanctions and tariffs on CCP Incorporated, and our anomalies when it comes to winning the globalization Cold War. On the other hand, the reverse of CCP investing in USA companies is closely controlled by the CCP, a monopsony and a monopoly, a one-buyer and seller market that controls all trade agreements, and enforcement of competitive influences. 
CCP Incorporated converts low quality, with little to no overhead, for profits from its subsidiary companies. Also, no strikes, no work stoppages, media attacks, no protests other than religious groups, compared to 40% government fixed overhead to run USA Enterprises. CCP Incorporated taxes small to large companies 2.5 to 15%. Individuals 3% to 45% on worldwide income. Therefore, CCP Incorporated is low overhead and high return on investment. On the other hand, 59% of the CCP workers are over 50 years old with a mandated social security program. 90 million drop out of the workforce per year. Of the 745 million workers 10% are over 70 with a 54 average retirement age. CCP Incorporated trails the USA in GDP, with $14 trillion versus the USA of $21 trillion. Japan is third with $5 trillion, Germany fourth with $4 trillion, India fifth with $3 trillion. From these recent analytical figures, the USA is leading in GDP from a workforce of 170 to 200 million enterprising Americans, with the highest government overhead costs and lowest return on investment compared to China, that is catching up by controlling the supply lines with low labor costs and high technological theft. The imbalance of trade is with China is approaching $900 billion per year. Even more with the China virus pandemic with China providing PPE and pharmaceuticals to battle the $1.9 trillion stimulus cost of closing down the USA economy. CCP Incorporated has a more efficient labor force, without interference of human rights, unions and strikes. An autocracy that's destined to be destroyed by corruption and revolts. In the background are the 350 million believers in Falun Gong, who have opted out of the CCP, and support human rights, and free market capitalism. Thus CCP Incorporated, envisions China capitalism and the China dream to be the new world order for bringing all socialist and communist countries together to compete with American capitalism and American socialism, monetary capital and human capital, practicing peaceful coexistence with humanism as its constitutional foundation. The next 20 years will decide, if the USA will lead the world out of a trade war, and poverty by taking back the supply line imbalance of trade, establishing profitable American enterprise who practicing humanism and peaceful coexistence as the United Nations standard. This is the focus that the American Enterprise Party swing vote and its version of Americanism, brings to the partisan two-party, red and blue, gridlock. A pathway of equity for both the haves and the have-nots, using a bipartisan swing vote in the Houses of Congress, and the republic for which it stands, under God, and the Constitution of the United States of America.